If you think you know about mental illness, think again. This is We Are Hope, the radio program with host and co-founder Sean Perry. Mental illness has reached an all-time high in this country and beyond. We're here to break the stigma through change, discussion, and support. Now, here is your host, Sean Perry. Hello and welcome to We Are Hope, Breaking the Stigma Through Change with me, your host, Sean Perry. I'm coming to you live from Space on Main in Bradford, Vermont on the Voice America Empowerment Network. And today I have the absolute honor of speaking with Dr. Daniel B. Fisher. While carrying out neurochemical research at the National Institute of Mental Health, Dan was labeled with schizophrenia then recovered a full life in the community through loving relationships and peer support. To humanize the mental health system, he worked as a community psychiatrist, founded the National Empowerment Center, and was a member of the New Freedom Commission on Mental Health, helped organize the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery, helped develop emotional CPR, and wrote the book, Heartbeats of Hope. Like I said earlier, I am honored to have this amazing man on my show. Welcome, Dan. How are you? Uh, fine, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you so much again for being here. Today, what we're going to find out is how Dr. Fisher is breaking the stigma through change. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How did you get started? Well, Sean, uh, I'm from Baltimore. Um, grew up in Baltimore, and I... Um, uh, went through college. I uh, went to Princeton. Uh, had a um, intense interest in uh, uh, mental health issues uh, because of my younger sister had um, mental health problems at a young age. My father was a doctor, and um, he and most of his colleagues uh, in the '60s believed that these were primarily due to chemical imbalances. So. I went on to become a biochemist. I got a PhD in biochemistry and uh, went to the National Institute of Mental Health to uh, study neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, uh, to understand more about the chemistry of the brain. Um, it was the late 60s, and um, a lot was happening in our country at that point. Uh, the Vietnam War, civil rights, um, the... Uh, the liberation of a number of different oppressed groups, and I myself went through a upheaval. Um, my marriage didn't work out. I went into intensive therapy, um, tried to sort of open up uh, in ways that I hadn't been opened up before, and um, I, in the course of uh, my sort of liberation from the rigid life that I had uh, been living, um, I had difficulty coming back from a dreamlike state that's uh, really, it's called psychosis. I, I went into right. an alternate reality and right. um, I, needed, uh, I needed help to come back. The only help at that point, and unfortunately still often the only uh, help uh, when you're in another reality and really not functioning in day-to-day -day reality uh, was a psychiatric hospital, and right. um, that happened to me three times uh, in the uh, in the early seventies. And I decided that the treatment was so um, primitive, and it still is kind of primitive in a psychiatric yeah. hospital. Um, 
that I decided to become a psychiatrist to try to reform the system. That's amazing. Went to medical school, did my residency in psychiatry, practiced as a, a board-certified psychiatrist in the Community Mental Health Center for about 35 years. Um, but always something was missing. Um, they, there's too much, uh, there's an over-reliance on medication. There's looking at people through a diagnostic lens instead of human-to-human interaction. Right. So I started, that's why I started the National Empowerment Center in um, 1992 to try to bring the voice of myself and other people who had recovered uh, to the public and to the mental health system. Because well, that's one of the... have discovered that the primary aspect of our recovery really is human connection. It's not uh, primarily through medication. Not opposed to medication, but right. the primary way that people recover is almost always through a deep human connection. And that's well, what I've been working on through emotional CPR ever that's since. That's amazing. I'd be glad to tell you about later. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is you talk a lot about recovery. And, and I think, you know, for, mm-hmm. for, the, for the members out there or for the audience out there listening, you know, when we hear recovery, we automatically think about addiction, right? That, that, that word recovery, right. you know, just brings us to, well, you know, um, addiction as a whole. When, when you talk about recovery, it's something completely different. And I'm wondering if you can kind of shed some light so that people really understand what recovery means. Uh, well, I'm glad you brought it up. It's true. Recovery in the popular mind has more to do with uh, recovery from addiction, alcohol, drugs, overeating. Um, and and that, that certainly is a form of recovery. We're really referring to is recovery from what is called mental illness. We don't love the term because that makes it sound like a medical problem. But uh, severe psychiatric um, conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, severe depression, post-traumatic uh, disorder. Uh, all these are conditions that, although they severely affect the person's thinking and functioning, it is possible to recover from, from any one of them. And that That's... recovery is really recovery um, of yourself, recovery of your relationships, recovery of work, um, really recovery of a, uh, a full position in society. You don't have to be condemned forever to a lesser role in society. And that, in and the that, popular mind, though, and, and, and unfortunately in the um, psychiatric field, there is a misconception that if somebody is diagnosed with a severe psychiatric problem, such as schizophrenia, that people don't recover uh, right. a role in society. And, and so what you're bringing, which I think is amazing, and, and, and your enlightenment and awakenedness is, is bringing um, a message of hope, that there is hope, that there are people out there that are recovering from um, these disorders. You know, one of the, one of the things is um, that I, as I have been working with you is, you know, what made you believe that connecting on an emotional level would bri- uh, would be the bridge to healing, especially when the clinical world um, says no way? Well, that's uh, <laughs> some of these <laughs> questions are good questions. Some of them I'm just answering myself. Um, there wasn't there wasn't any book written for recovery because um, and there's still very few because 
uh, it's not believed by the psychiatric profession that people can recover from these uh, more severe conditions. So um, they, uh, I had to go by somewhat um, what worked uh, for me. And also, right. uh, there ha- in the 70s, there started a self-help movement for people with uh, severe psychiatric problems. Um, it's been called the consumer movement, the survivor movement, um, and it's, it's a self-help uh, through meeting in small groups and, uh, and, and helping each other out and learning from each other. And it's really, the, it's, it's really been through those uh, self-help movements that I especially learned the importance. Of, they call it peer support. It's really right. human relationship um, by people who've been through a similar experience. And uh, we share our knowledge, our wisdom of what's helped, um, and we also give encouragement and uh, support and hope to each other. And, and we yeah. find that it's not just relationships. It's relationships in which you, your voice and your spirit are nurtured. Relationships yeah. in which people believe in you. So we, so we did at the Empowerment Center a fairly simple study um, that really hadn't been done. And, and that was to interview in depth about 30 people who had severe psychiatric problems when labeled schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and who had, been, had, had, like myself, recovered a life. And we just asked them straight up, what was most important in your recovery? And almost always the top factors uh, were relationships uh, with significant people in their life. So powerful. So powerful. Well, listen, Dr. Fisher, I want you to hold that thought. We've got a, a break yeah. coming up. Um, so before we go to break, if uh, all you listeners out there, if, if someone you know is, is currently struggling, please do not hesitate to reach out for support. You can contact We Are Hope directly at 1-802-440-1428. Again, that's 1-802-440-1428. When we return from our break, we'll find out about the National Empowerment Center and the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery. Don't forget to check us out at www.wearehope.org or on Facebook at We Are Hope Inc. You can also find us at We Are Hope Inc. on Twitter, We Are Hope Inc. on Instagram. If you'd like to order Heartbeats of Hope, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, it is on Amazon. You can also follow the National Empowerment Center on Facebook and the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery on Facebook as well. You can follow Dr. Daniel Fisher at uh, Daniel B. Fisher on Facebook and on Twitter at DBFisher21. We'll, we'll be back in a minute. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. 
Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red Says, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to We Are Hope. If you're interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, we are coming live from Space on Main in Bradford, Vermont, on the Voice America Radio Empowerment Network. If you would like to call in and have a question for Dr. Fisher, you can call in to one eight six six three four six nine one four one. Again, that's one eight six six three four six nine one four one. All right, welcome back, Dr. Fisher. How are you? I'm good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the National Empowerment Center. Uh, 1992 was the year that uh, you founded the center. What was it about that year? What was the turning point or driving force that said, I need to do this now? You ask good questions, Sean. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, That's good. Uh, I've never really, uh, I never really analyzed why we did it then. Um, <clears throat> one thing was um, there was an opportunity uh, for a grant put out by the federal government for something new, which was, uh, it was called the Technical Assistance Center, but really it was a, like an information and training center. And what was new and unique is that the center was to be run by people we say lived experience, people who um, are in recovery uh, from or have recovered from uh, severe psychiatric problems. And that, that's quite unique. That had never occurred right. before. Yeah, that's pretty So powerful. that was one factor. Another was that um, I was working with um, uh, uh, two other, uh, actually three other very gifted um, uh, people who've been through their own recovery experience. One was Judy Chamberlain, who really was my mentor. And uh, that was at Boston University Center for Psych Rehab. And okay. uh, Patricia Deegan, um, another uh, really early pioneer in the recovery from mental health problems uh, field, mm-hmm. and Alari Hearn. So the four of us really um, formed, uh, you know, four musketeers, I guess. Um, we felt that we could create a center uh, sort of similar to the Stone Center for Women at Wells University, uh, which is the voice uh, uniquely of women in, in psychology it had always mm. been mostly the voice of men in psychology before the Stone Center. And we felt right. 
that there is a need, and there continues to be a need, for the voice of those of us that have um, been through our own recovery from mental health issues uh, instead of professionals or, um, you know, family members as has occurred in the past. So I guess those were the major factors. Right. So tell me a little bit about, or tell our audience a little bit about the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery. Right. Well, so first we found, I founded the National Empowerment Center along with uh, Judy and, and Pat and Laurie Hearn. So that we, um, we were uh, funded um, and continue to be funded by the federal government um, to, uh, to bring our voice to, to the people. And, um, and then I was uh, appointed to the White House Commission on Mental Health in 2002 as the only person, um, at least openly speaking, about uh, my recovery from mental health issues. And um, in that commission, we were able uh, to bring in a lot of other people with lived experience to give testimony, emails, you know, written materials. Um, so, so much so that by the end of the year, um, the commission came out with a report saying that the major vision of the mental health system should be recovery from mental illness. Wow. And this was really groundbreaking in 2003 to, to emphasize recovery, not, not solely treatment, not just maintenance, as had been the case in the past, but right. actual recovery of a life of meaning in the community. Wow. However, the uh, administration at that time, the George W. Bush administration, actually was disappointed that we didn't emphasize the medical approach more. So they, hmm. they did not really um, promote it very loudly. They did. Right. They did uh, the, the Veterans Administration did pick it up, though, and um, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health Service Administration in the federal government did pick it up. We were disappointed, right. though, that the White House itself did not pick it up. They didn't have a, a formal signing or presentation or anything like that. And so we, we missed some opportunity. That's when I started to get more political and say, oh, my goodness, we, like all the other interest groups, like the AIDS interest group, like cancer, like heart disease, we need a national um, advocacy voice. Right. And we had tried in the past to bring the, uh, the varied voices together. And there is a spectrum of voices within our movement between people who identify as consumers who say, we just need more of the same services, or people who identify as survivors who say, we need to really radically change. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the system's broken. We know that. <laughs> the system's yeah, broken. the broken system. Yeah. So we, we but we, it's important to bring both camps together. So we created a large enough tent to bring both the consumers and survivors together. And, and we reach out to family members as well. They're just misinformed. Sometimes they think that a pill will be the only answer, but they've been misinformed. So we created, um, through statewide organizations, this National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery, which is our major advocacy uh, voice. And that's, Absolutely that's amazing. The You're quite the pioneer. 
<laughs> quite the yeah, pioneer. Yeah, really trying to use. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, and that that's a it's just a perfect segue to you know one of my favorite topics talking with you, and and um, that's going to lead me to emotional CPR, which I have taken the course. I'm uh, working on my apprenticeship to be able to train uh, to be able to give this course to people. Let's talk about what is it and what makes it different <clears throat> from anything that we know. Well, I. Thought you'd never ask, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I love emotional CPR. Absolutely love it. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, you, you did a great job. I, um, so I, I thought, I, I was thinking when I was um, hospitalized uh, several times, during my hospitalization, especially in the initial period, I was mute. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't, really voluntary, I just found that I just could not, I couldn't talk. And um, it's called catatonia, but to me, it was really pausing. I, like, had to take a very large pause in my life and try to reconsider what I thought was true and not true in my life. Um, some of this is just reconstructed. I, I didn't sit there and go, okay, I'm not going to talk until I really know what I want to say, and right. it might take me a month. Uh, right. I was actually, my second hospitalization, mute for a month. And wow. um, it's considered a very severe condition. Um, sometimes people don't recover from that, that mute state. But mm. what I kept thinking during that time, and by the way, when someone isn't talking doesn't mean they're not listening and right. thinking. Right. Actually, I was thinking, and I was wa- more watchful than ever. Because if you don't speak, you kind of have more opportunity to look around and really, really pay attention to what's going right. on. And what I noticed was that the people with less formal training, the people who were 18, 19-year-old corpsmen, I was in a Navy hospital, and the people who themselves were going through their own recovery, and and we don't like the word patient, but um, people who were receiving services, peers, Mm -hmm. were the the best at connecting with me. And with encouraging me, non-verbally mostly, to come back to uh, day-to-day existence, to come back to consensual reality, to come back and say, yeah, I'll live my life. Life is worth living. Because I really wasn't sure I wanted to go on living, but I, I didn't have the, uh, I don't know, the guts to end my life. Uh, or maybe I just didn't, I didn't want, I, I was curious, and I, I thought, well, maybe there's something I haven't learned about life. And, right. But that's when I first started to think about what became, years later, emotional CPR. Why do less trained people, why are less, less, you know, sophisticated as far as, you know, professionalism. Why are people like that better able to reach people in severe distress? And by the way, I, I have given hundreds, maybe thousands of talks, and the people, you know, who've been through their own recovery, as well as parents, as well as professionals, but especially I'll ask any audience that has a significant number of people who've been through their own recovery, who helped you the most? Who helped you in your recovery the most? And almost uniformly, it's less trained, formally trained people. 
So yeah, we see that all the time. We see that all the time. Yeah. I mean, working in, in residential really. treatment, you you see the the yeah. the um the res staff that is just able to reach these kids mm. much more. Yeah, much quicker. Much more than professionally trained people. So yeah, I mean, let's just put that aside for the moment. That's that's absolutely an international tragedy. I would say we are training right. out the factors that are most important in people connecting with other people. And what are those factors? So that's what we've been developing with emotional CPR. We started about 11 years ago. We partly started out of disappointment with mental health first aid. We thought, oh, well, here's a public, um, you know, education program, mental health first aid. Maybe that'll, you know, help people that are lay people to uh, communicate better when somebody's in distress. But actually we found it tended to increase stigma because it, it, what it teaches people is to label and to refer. And that means friends, family, lay people are learning about diagnoses, become like junior, junior clinicians, and then just refer people. And it doesn't right. really teach the skills necessary to help somebody through a distressing period. So the... The disappointment we felt with mental first aid was a big additional motivator to create this um, emotional CPR. And the the three letters, what do they stand for, Sean? Oh, C, man. You're gonna put me... and R. <laughs> uh, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> C, is, C is for connecting. C connecting, for yes. Connecting. But, but is it just I mean, people connect all the time. Is it just, just saying hello, how are you, or is it something more to it? No, it's a full it's a full it's a full body connection, right? So you um in, in the teachings it's we you teach about ting, um being able to connect with ten eyes, ears, heart, mm-hmm. all of yourself, your entire body really connecting, being heart to heart, one to one. Um it, it's such a deeper level of connection. It's 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 really, really powerful. Really powerful. It actually changed my life. Wow. How did it change your life? Well, I, I think being in, in the work that we do with kids, you know, um, at times we we get lost in our shuffle as coaches and we go through this consistent uh, um, pattern of, okay, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And I think emotional, where I know that emotional CPR for me um, was able to bring me back to remember uh, to be human, right? To be able to connect with these kids on a level. And sometimes, you know, I, I tell people all the time, just, just shut up and listen. And it, 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 it reminds you just to be present with that person. And sometimes you don't have to have the answer. And all of my trainings currently, I keep using that is you don't have to have the answer. Sometimes they just want you to be there with them and listen. And that is the most powerful thing. And so for me, it's changed my life um, to just listen. Um, so powerful. Mm-hmm. We have a commercial break coming well, up, um, and I want to come back because I do have a question about uh, that I want to ask you about emotional CPR when we return. Um, but again, guys, if some of you know someone or even yourself that is struggling, you can reach out to We Are Hope directly at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. When we return, we're going to hear from Dr. Fisher about his book, Heartbeats of Hope. We are going to answer one question about emotional CPR. And don't forget to check us out at We Are Hope. 
www.wearehope.org. Again, that's www.wearehope.org. You can find us on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook at We Are Hope Inc., on Twitter at We Are Hope Inc., and on Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. And again, if you would like to order uh, Heartbeat, Heartbeats of Hope, it's on Amazon. You can also follow the National Empowerment Center on Facebook, the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery on Facebook, and Dr. Fisher at Daniel B. Fisher on Facebook, and on Twitter at DBFisher21. We'll be back in a minute. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your hosts, Colleen Biggs and Dee Daniels, speak with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to We Are Hope. If you are interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hello and welcome back. Again, guys, I'm coming to you live from Space on Main in Bradford, Vermont on the Voice America Empowerment Network. Before we uh, went to commercial break, I had one question for Dr. Fisher, and that question is, why is this approach, why is the emotional CPR approach so important, and how can it change the way we support people? Yeah, Sean, so um, I I love doing emotional CPR, and um uh, I love I love uh, watching people like yourself um, uh, pick it up, uh, learn from it. It um, what I think it uh, emotional CPR does is it um, it answers a universal need, a uh, a yearning that we have um, really deep down inside of each person. A yearning, a yearning to be heard, a yearning to be felt, a yearning to be understood. Um, mm. And that by connecting at a, a deep level, 
an emotional CPR, we really emphasize the emotional connecting uh, yeah. first. We say feelings first and words second. So the, uh, the listening that you were talking about is really, we, we call it listening with your heart. And yeah. if you are able to connect with another person at a heart-to-heart level, both, both parties, both people uh, seem to gain something new. Their hearts and their sense of self tends to grow. They become more self-aware. They, um, they are able to uh, understand themselves in the world. I, I find that it also clarifies my thinking. Um, I think a lot of our thoughts uh, depend on how we're feeling. And yeah. if we're feeling at peace, we're feeling that we can love ourselves and love other people, um, we can think more clearly. We don't so have true. to be additionally worrying, you know, am I coming across all right? Is this really me? And do I belong here? All these questions. Uh, all that anxiety. I love this person. <laughs> yeah, all the anxiety yeah. of, and the uncertainties. And, and you mentioned that uh, you find it's helpful to not come up with the answers for other people. And I think that, and that is one of our intentions in emotional CPR is to be curious when you're assisting somebody and and don't come across like the expert, but uh, just explore together with them the unknown, which, and the answers are in each person. So if you really believe the other person has the answer inside, that becomes a relief actually for both of you. Oh, it's a relief for you who's trying to provide assistance, you don't have to dream up some, you know, concoction or some right. exercise or something. It, and it's a relief, actually, in the long run for the other person. They might initially be disappointed. What do you mean you can't tell me what to do? There must be a way of breathing. There must be some exercise to make me feel right. better or something. Well, we're thought. so used to giving answers, but right? We're so used to giving people advice. Used to, used to asking yeah. answer, asking questions. That's the other thing we discourage, actually, is asking too many questions. Um, when someone's in distress, uh, asking them, you know, how are you feeling is not necessarily a good idea. We, we instead right. share a little bit of how we're doing at that time. You know, right. I'm, I'm, uh, when I'm with you, I'm, I'm feeling a little sadness. Uh, I'm staying with you, and it's not overwhelming. But this is what I'm right. noticing while I'm with you. And it opens people up. They're like, yeah. oh, it's okay to feel sad. It's even if you're with somebody and they tell you something very sad and you feel a tear, it's okay to tear up a little and say, this is really sad what you're telling me. And that I can, has an I can amazing speak to that. effect. You know, I can, I can okay. speak to that, Dan. You know, uh, you and I did a real play in uh, Rhode Island yeah. together, and uh, yep. it was it was deep. It was amazing. You know, I had to talk about something that was on my heart and that I was really struggling with. And, uh, you know, you were just there supporting me and, and just being there present in that moment. And as angry as I was going through that, there was nothing you could do for me but to just be there. And just being there allowed me to actually open up in front of an entire room of people, which I typically would never do. <laughs> so for all you listeners out there, emotional CPR is the real deal and it will change your life. I want to go ahead and and change directions here, Dan, and talk about Heartbeats of Hope because you wrote oh, okay. this book. Um, 
And I want to know what was it that prompted you to write this book? And what is it about being vulnerable? Also, one other question. And what is it about being vulnerable that you believe is helpful? um, That you believe is helpful? Well, um, well, the, yeah, I had to be vulnerable to write the book. Uh, It was very public. Um, I actually, I actually did wait until my mother had died because I didn't, I wasn't sure she would appreciate it. Although she was always very encouraging, um, about my writing the book. Uh, why did it, what motivated me? Well, actually a lot of people asking me, how did you recover? Wow. You, you were diagnosed with schizophrenia. You were hospitalized three times. You recovered and, and became a psychiatrist. You have a family, a wife, two daughters, um, run a center, started a center. Uh, they, they were like, how'd you do it? And um, I, as I said earlier in the show, there was no blueprint for what to do. I just right. sort of felt my way along. You know, well, this seems to work. Well, that doesn't work. It was a little bit like I continued my research outside of the laboratory. My, mm. my life became my research project. So let's try this. Well, that doesn't work. Well, let's try that. And medication was a minor factor. I did take it when I was in the hospital and for a couple of months afterwards. But I had a, a marvelous, absolutely marvelous psychiatrist. And uh, he, he, I went to see him and I said, I just, um, I hope you'll be real. And he said, I'll try. He was that kind of humble guy. Right. And when I came out of the hospital a second time and diagnosed schizophrenia in my hand, the paperwork for it. And I said to him, I'm going to become a psychiatrist and change the field. He said, without hesitating a moment, I'll be at your graduation. And <laughs> six years later, he, there he was. He came to my graduation. He was, um, he was just a wonderful, genuine human being. And I, I wanted to write it to give credit to him. Uh, I wanted to write it to understand more myself about what had happened. Um, writing can be a very helpful way to understand, to greater understanding. And right. I, it took me 10 years. It was a long time to write the oh, book because wow. it was painful oh. at times to go back to the periods of um, severe distress. But yeah. I'm glad I wrote it. And so, what can what can readers expect when reading when reading the book? Well, the first I was going to just have it be autobiographical, like a memoir, and then, but then I had lots of other things I wanted to say, and I didn't know when I'd get to write another book. Because I'm still pretty busy. Um, I'm 75, but I don't really have any interest in retiring. Um, <laughs> my wife would kind of like me to, probably at times you know, because she's retiring. But I enjoy what I do too much. I have tried to cut back a bit on my hours. But so I just made the first three chapters, about 90 pages about my, what I understand of my recovery at that time. Mm -hmm. And then a chapter on the results of interviewing people about their recovery. And it's just sort of tips, tips on recovery. Right. And then a couple of chapters on some some uh, new model of recovery, 
uh, as to take the place of the medical model, we we see this as a trauma as a primary factor in people's recovery. That yeah. um, they they have to heal from trauma. For myself, it was childhood sexual abuse was a big factor. I think in making me vulnerable to um, withdraw from people, be frightened of people. But right. it's possible to overcome that fear and overcome the walls, scale the walls of fear, I would call it. That's really yeah. what I've, I had to do. And then I have a chapter on emotional uh, CPR and a chapter on um, something called Open Dialogue, which I uh, highly uh, recommend. And uh, that's from Finland. It's a family um, counseling approach, which I took two years of training, and now I, that's what I do in my private practice is I see families. And mm-hmm. um, often they, they haven't had much success with the traditional medical model. And this model, the uh, open dialogue model, says there's no one to fault, but that recovery is the work of the whole family. Everybody right. can learn together. So true. Um, those are the major chapters. And then I finish okay. with a um, just a chapter of what I hope for. And I could tell you, if you have a moment here, um, maybe a few. The hope I hope for the day. Um, do we have time for maybe a minute of this? We've got about one minute, and then we're going to get ready to head to commercial break. We can. How about we do Anyone, this? We'll, we'll pick. When we come back, we'll pick, I yeah, will. When we come, I will share with you and the audience um, the what I hope for. That's perfect. That's perfect. And we can also talk about the alternatives conference as well, which I'd like to touch oh, on before yeah. we before yeah. we end the show. So it is yeah. time for a break. Um, again, guys, if someone that you know is struggling, please do not hesitate to reach out for support. You can contact We Are Hope directly at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. When we return, we're going to hear uh, Dr. Fisher's hope uh, for the future. We're also going to uh, talk to him about the Alternatives Conference. And we're also going to talk really briefly about the crisis in this country and what we can do about it. Um don't forget to check us out on at www.wearehope.org. You can find us on Facebook at We Are Hope Inc. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. as well. If you'd like to order uh, Heartbeats of Hope, um, Heartbeats of Hope, it's on Amazon. You can also follow the National Empowerment Center on uh, on Facebook and the National Coalition for Mental Health Recovery as well. Uh, you could follow Dr. Daniel Fisher at Daniel B. Fisher on Facebook and Twitter at DB Fisher 21. We'll be back in a minute. better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed if you are ready to be inspired energized and entertained you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be the star you are radio.com live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific time 7 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel listen for our lifestyle show Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk, and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at Be the Star You Are 
mutinyradio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit, hosted by Dr. Dory Lynn. Dr. Dory is coming back. Sexy, savvy, and with sage advice from nearly eight decades of life experience. It's not retirement, it's refirement. It's fun, it's deep. Listening just makes you feel good. If you're looking for straight talk without all the bull in the world, be sure to tune in to Dr. Dory and Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Make an appointment listening right now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to We Are Hope. If you are interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hello and welcome back. I am coming to you live from Space on Main in Bradford, Vermont on the Voice America Empowerment Network. And I am speaking with Dr. Daniel B. Fisher today. Um, before we went up to commercial break, Dr. Fisher uh, was going to share with us his hope. Um, so, Dan, let us know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so, um, at the, when I finished the book... Um, there's always something additional you want to add. And um, so I was like, okay, on the back of the book, I'll put uh, what I really hope for. I, mm. I, I sort of mentioned it in the book, but um, so here's, here's my summary. <clears throat> I hope for the day <clears throat> when every person who experiences extreme emotional states um, is engaged in respectful, hopeful, humanistic, empowering relationships then enable them to heal and recover full, meaningful lives in the community. I hope for a day when instead of being seen as threats to society, we who've been labeled will be seen as a source of wisdom that we have obtained through our recovery. I hope for the day when practices like open dialogue will eliminate the long-term effects of a prophecy of doom and lifelong illness. That is, unfortunately, uh, what the mental health system says today. I hope for the day when suffering will be seen as an understandable human response to trauma rather than a chemical imbalance or a defective fear circuit. I hope for a day when voluntary, community-based, recovery-oriented, culturally attuned, trauma-informed services and housing will replace psychiatric hospitals. I hope for the day when the mental health system will be run by persons with lived experience of recovery from extreme emotional states. And lastly, I hope for the day when everyone will learn how to assist each other through extreme emotional states by learning communication skills such as emotional CPR. That's, That's so powerful. what I hope for. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. So, um, sure. 
there is a conference coming up called uh, the Alternatives Conference, um, which yeah. I will be being a presenter at, actually, which I'm really excited about. Can you tell us uh, briefly uh, what that conference is, how long it's been going on, and, and, and what it's all about? Sure. Um, it's been going on for 34 years. Um, the first the first Alternatives Conference was 1985. However, we trace our roots back uh, to a conference uh, on civil rights and mental health that was started in 1972. And um, that conference uh, ran from 72 until 85. And uh, the success of that conference led the federal government to fund, start funding in 1985 um, our alternatives conference. And um, we've maybe only missed one year, so it's an annual conference, uh, our National Empowerment Centers uh, sponsored probably seven or eight of the conferences since um, 1985. But recently what happened was we were too successful, I would say, at um, highlighting the deficiencies in the mental health system. Uh, when you bring together people who have experienced um, really uh, a poor quality of services as as happened, continues to happen, unfortunately, across this country and in every, every major country. Right. Um, the, the lack of hope, the lack of understanding of the importance of relationships, the overemphasis on um, the medical approach and medication to the excess of community building, These, the problems of uh, locking people in hospitals when what they need is really have their spirit nurtured. Um, mm. in small home-like settings. These, anyway, we, we get together and we all have this common experience and, um, and it, it makes us angry. Um, we transform that anger into passion and passion for change. We want to change the system. But the, um, the federal government actually was uh, distressed. Um, certain, uh, certain people in the federal government were distressed that we were questioning the, um, the pharmaceutical uh, industry and saying that it had too much influence. And uh, as a result, the conference two years ago lost its funding. Um, mm. In 2018, last year, we nonetheless were able to raise some money and through registrations and through some sponsorships um, by enlightened uh, enlightened. Uh, Mental, uh, mental health systems and right. uh, and some state governments and we had uh, we had a very successful conference in uh, Washington D.C. last year at the Catholic University and uh, we were able to go to Congress and to uh, educate um, congressional staffers about our point of view and how important it is to have um, our words and our peer support and our uh, our hope uh, start to infuse the mental health system. And we're going to hold so it again far. this year. Uh, it'll be July um, 7th through 11th. Uh, and uh, you can go to our website, um, alternatives-conference.org, alternatives-conference.org. You can uh, register. And um, the cost, for a five-day conference is two hundred ninety-five dollars, which is which is a great uh, great bargain. 
Yeah. Um, people learn advocacy skills. They uh, they learn from each other. It'll be seventy, almost seventy workshops, keynotes, caucuses. Um, what's unique is it's it's a conference completely run by, conducted by, inspired by um, people like myself who've been through our own uh, experience of recovery. And in so the addiction amazing. field, there's a long history of learning from people who've been through addiction. AA right. is based on this principle. Many of the addiction treatment centers are primarily staffed by people who have recovered or are recovering from their own addiction. Mental health right. uniquely has difficulty in accepting this premise. Why not come to right. us? We've been through it. We know what works. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, listen, Dr. Fisher, we got a little bit of time left and I've got, I got two questions for you. Um, okay. So there's a crisis in this country in one sentence. What can we do? <laughs> well, the, the crisis in mental health, uh, services is the crisis that you're referring to. Nice. Uh, listen to those of us, um, uh, Listen to those of us who have been through our own recovery. Listen to us, and we will tell you what works. Awesome. And listen to um, listen to your neighbor. Listen to your friend. Uh, they they they're there as a resource to help you through crises and learn emotional CPR. It'll change yes. your life. It'll change sure the will. culture. Sure will. And then lastly, as you know, the name of this show is Breaking the Stigma Through Change. How can we yes. break the stigma through change? Well, a lot of stigma is from feeling that people don't recover. So the first thing is um, listening to uh, having people speak about their own recovery and, mm-hmm. and showing that people do recover. This gives hope. And when there's hope, that will reduce stigma. Another thing is learning that you can actually assist and communicate with people even when they're in their most distressed state. And I think it's helplessness uh, leads to hopelessness. And awesome. uh, emotional CPR is one way to learn to communicate with people when they're uh, in distress. Um, more resources for uh, alternative approaches such as uh, peer-run respites small home-like settings, alternatives to hospitals, um, insurance, keep, keep the Affordable Care Act uh, alive and have mental health uh, services be a required uh, benefit in all insurance policies. Thank you. All right, Dr. Fisher, I don't mean to cut you off. We've got 30 seconds. More than one I just want to say, okay. <laughs> I want to say thank you so much to my friend, Dr. Fisher. He's an amazing man, and I'm honored and blessed to have him in my life. Thank you um, so much. It's, it's, it's been great. I, I like you. I would like you all to remember that someone that you know may be struggling um, right now in silence, and today is the day that they no longer have to. Today is the day that they can reach out for support, and today is that day that they no longer need to be alone. Please feel free to reach out to We Are Hope at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. I thank you all for listening. Until next week. Thank you for listening to the We Are Hope radio show. Please join host Sean Perry again for another edition next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to have you join us again next week.